Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Another among the prima facie duties which W.D. Ross talks about in his great work, The Right and the Good, Chapter 2, that is, duties that are incumbent upon us, for the most part, in most situations that we intuitively sense to be our duties, is what he calls beneficence. And from the very beginning, he makes clear that he's not talking about something which is very close to this, which is benevolence. And the reason why he differentiates these is because one has to do with an attitude or a set of intentions, and the other one has to do with actually doing things, actually attempting, actually following through. This is coming from Latin terms. Facere means to do, to, to put into act, and volere means to will, to intend, to wish. So it's not enough for Ross that we want good things to happen to other people or want to do good for other people. Rather, it's a matter of the duty being for us to actually do it. And it doesn't mean that we have to be doing good all the time or in every single circumstance. What he says is that this is a general duty which we owe to all human beings or perhaps even to other beings when we look at the criteria that he has for this. Now, it could have more specific, more particular import depending on relationships. So, for example, I think Ross would be willing to say that I have not only a general duty to, to all humanity to be beneficent to them, but particularly to those who are close to me, those who I am in day-to-day -day contact with. For example, my wife, my children, my other family perhaps less them than my wife and children. My students, you know, my students as opposed to just anybody who emails me out of the blue, perhaps I have a greater duty to improve their situations than I do, you know, just to anybody whatsoever. Where does this duty come from? What does it arise from? Ross says that it arises from the very fact that there are beings whose conditions we can make better. That's what beneficence means, to actually make the conditions of life, of existence, of work, of play, of study, better for some other beings. Not only ourselves, but, but for them. And it's closely related to another duty, the duty of self-improvement. Ross conceives of us as having the kind of reflexive relation to ourselves as, as we do to other people. If I can make somebody else's situation better, I ought to do so. If I can make my own situation better in respect to virtue or, or knowledge or intellectual development, I ought to do so as well. For Ross, he notes that not only should we make other people's situations better in relation to moral virtue or intelligence, but also in terms of pleasure. So if I can smile at somebody and it doesn't cost me anything to do so, I, Ross would be willing to say it's not really that big of a thing, but I'm actually fulfilling a duty of beneficence by doing so. And, you know, you never really know what your beneficent actions effects are going to be. You're sort of throwing it out there, casting your bread upon the water, to use the old proverb, and seeing what happens because of it. Your duty is not to actually 
make it have a good effect, your duty is to do it, Ross would say. So let's think about each of these in turn then. What would this entail? So making people's lives better in terms of pleasure. There's lots of ways we can bring people pleasure, some of them in immediate ways, some of them in what we might call privative ways, when we take away pain and then that produces a pleasure, or we you know, remove the conditions that are preventing them from feeling some sort of pleasure. Some might be instrumental, where we provide them with the means to have pleasure. So if I, for example, shoot these videos and you actually, you know, let, let's put aside intellectual development or moral virtue. I'm not trying to, let's say I'm not making you a better person. I'm not make, making you better informed. You just like watching philosophy videos for some reason. Then I am providing you with pleasure and I'm doing so by giving you a tool which you can use then to, to get pleasure. I'm not doing it directly. I'm doing it through some sort of medium. And we could think about money that way. We could think of creating opportunities for people that way. More direct forms of pleasure would be, say, the comedian up on stage or the actor or actress who's doing something or a musician or the person giving another person a massage or, if they're into it, reciting a poem for them. You know, There's all different ways in which we could think about this, cooking a nice meal for somebody. Then there's many indirect ways. Like I said, you know, if you're in pain and I help to alleviate your pain, I am improving your condition with respect to pain and pleasure, and that would be a form of beneficence. So we could run through all sorts of types of examples of this. Intelligence. How do we improve each other's situation with respect to intelligence? This is one where it could actually conflict with pleasure to a certain extent. By informing each other, we are improving each other's situation with respect to intelligence. Of course, that assumes that the information that we're giving is actually informative and not, you know, misleading. If all I do is, is cut and paste news articles from unreliable sources, it's very difficult to say that I would be fulfilling a duty to make other people better informed. As a matter of fact, I may be going against that duty if the information sources are particularly bad, uh, unreliable, less credible, full of bias. But if I'm actually doing work to help people learn, to acquire information, to figure out what to do with that information, understand the information, giving them the, the skills that they need to sift good data out from bad data, or you know all these sorts of things, teaching them how to interpret, how to argue, we're thereby improving somebody else's condition with respect to their intellectual abilities. So you might understand the teaching profession itself as one particular way of fulfilling the duty of beneficence. Uh, journalism, when journalism actually does what it's supposed to do to inform, not just to try to form opinion or something like that, would also be carrying out this duty. There's a lot of ways we could think about this. If, for example, I, I see that my child or my friend or or somebody else has some cognitive bias and I call that to their attention, I'm actually doing them a good thing. Now that's probably going to be unpleasant for them. They're probably not going to want to hear that because, you know, once we have a particular way of seeing things, we tend to take pleasure in that and we tend to be pained by people saying, no, no, actually that's not right. So this could be a case where the duty of beneficence has to be kind of weighed. Do I have a duty to promote pleasure or do I have a duty to, a greater duty to promote intellectual development, being in touch with what's actually real, what's actually the case? The same thing could be said about moral virtue. 
Here Ross actually engages in some, some interesting reflection, and this is in respect to Kant primarily, although you could also think of this in terms of being connected with people like Mill who are concerned about paternalism. Mill's actually of two minds when it comes to that. And the question is whether I can, in fact, improve another person's condition with respect to morality, with respect to moral virtue, or whether that has to be left totally up to them. And you could say, well, look, I can give them the tools, and then it, you know, they have to decide what they want to do with it. I can, I can give them the theory, and then they have to do the practice. And Kant thinks that that's about as far as you can go. If you try to coerce somebody into becoming a better person, it, he thinks that you're not actually making them a better person. You're just giving them motives like you know, avoiding punishment or obtaining reward, which are not really moral motives. Ross disagrees. Ross says that, yeah, we, we do have to be kind of careful with this. It's not so simple as just legislating, everyone shall act in this way, and then expecting people to act that way. And Ross would be particularly receptive to Martin Luther King's dictum that the law can't actually make a man love me, but the upside of that is it can keep him from killing me. It can keep him from taking my, my property. The law has some moralizing effect, we can say, and personal relationships have an even greater moralizing effect. If I have a, a problem with anger, if I have a vicious disposition with respect to anger, and people come up to me and they say, you know, you really need to get your anger under control, and I'm not just informing you, I'm actually telling you I'm not going to hang out with you if you keep acting like a jerk whenever you get angry. They're bringing moral suasion to bear on me to try to improve my situation in terms of moral virtue. Ross would say that they're actually doing the right thing in that case. If I see that my son or my daughter is having trouble standing up to bullying, do I have an obligation to try to help them work their way through that so that they can develop the virtue of courage and not fall into vices of cowardice or rashness, foolhardiness, you know, on the one hand or the other. Ross would say, I do, in fact, have a duty to do so. And in fact, that would be, you know, one where the, the duty to beneficence is more specific based on, on the relationship. So each of these is a way in which we can make other beings position better. Now, it's interesting that Ross says other beings, he doesn't say human beings. He doesn't say persons. He says beings. So what about animals? What about pets in particular? Do I have a duty of beneficence to try to give pleasure to the animal world? Ross would say, perhaps yes. Certainly if you've taken on an animal and made it your own and you are now responsible for it, if it's what we call your pet, and if that animal is capable of, you know, appreciating a greater range of pleasure, then you actually do, in fact, owe it to them. If your dog enjoys going for walks, and you could take your dog out for a walk, but you prefer to play video games all day, and while the dog just lays around, Ross would say you're actually going against your duty to beneficence. Perhaps not as much as letting down a human being, but it is still doing something wrong in this situation by inaction, by choosing other things when you could, in fact, benefit them. 
Now, there's a lot of questions that would be likely to come up with how, in fact, you apply this. And, and you got to remember that Ross is saying these are general duties that we can recognize as applying in a wide range of cases, but they may not actually be the most applicable ones in every single case. How far does my duty to beneficence extend? If it interferes with other duties, say, of fidelity or of justice, or of self-improvement, or even more importantly, of non-maleficence, then this duty can be abrogated. You know, for example, let's think of an example where, where it would contravene justice. I can allocate resources in such a way as to make a person that, that I'm involved with very, very happy. But I may, in fact, have an obligation to, to assign resources to distribute them in a way that's fair. And by making this person particularly happy, which is a good thing, happiness is a good thing, I would be giving short shrift to the other people and thereby being unfair to them. In that case, Ross would say justice trumps beneficence. If I've made a promise to somebody, say to pay back a loan, and I've got the money, and I could give that money to somebody else, and it would make them very, very happy because they could, you know, buy whatever it is that they like. I still have a duty to repay the other person first, Ross would say. And if, and if you don't get that, Ross would say there's, there's something kind of off in your, your thinking. You're not really a fully developed moral agent with respect to, to working out these, these sorts of intuitions. So the duty to beneficence, in part because it is such a general duty, is often going to find itself being trumped by other duties that are either in general more stringent or in the particular case are more stringent. But it's, it's still a duty nonetheless, even though it often finds itself going lower in the, the list of priorities. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.